to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now here's lead pastor, Chris Starr. Turn to the Gospel of John chapter 1, and I want to read just a few verses there. Evan read the Christmas story. I wanted you to hear the Christmas story And I want to preach now about the Christmas story. John chapter 1, beginning at verse 14. John chapter 1, verse 14. And I've put a title with this message, and I've labeled it, Grace and Truth Came in a Manger. Grace and Truth Came in a Manger. This is what John says, beginning at verse 14, and the Word became flesh. Now, that's a capital W, and so that's a title for Jesus. So I, I might as well say, and Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. And John, this has been John the Baptist, bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son, Jesus, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him or He has manifested Him. In other words, if you want to see God, just take a good look at Jesus and you'll see Him. Thank you. You can have a seat. Um, This is the week before Christmas. This is the Sunday before Christmas. And... We're all focused on that very thing, that topic. The Christmas story is not about Santa Claus or Frosty the Snowman or Christmas trees or Christmas carols or anything like that. The Christmas story is about Jesus coming to this earth as a baby born to Mary in Bethlehem. And I want to talk about him today because that baby was no ordinary baby. That baby was the Son of God. To say it more clearly, that baby was God. In John chapter 1, verse 1, John calls him the Word and specifically says the Word was God. John said Jesus was God. Jesus was divine. He was there at creation in Genesis chapter 1. John said all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. In other words, Jesus was there when God, in the beginning, spoke everything into existence. He was there when, as God, creating Adam and Eve. He is the source of life for all mankind. The Bible says, in him we live and move and have our being. And John not only calls him the Word, but he calls him the Light, with a capital L. And he does this because light reveals, and God is a revealing God. And so Jesus is the source of divine revelation because that's what God does. He gives us revelation. And so when Jesus speaks, he speaks truth. When Jesus speaks of of right and wrong, he speaks absolute moral truth. And I I love to preach on this. I'm going to pause right here and just say we live in a time when there is strongly this concept that truth is subjective, 
this concept where truth is relative, that there is no source of absolute moral truth, that you cannot say that something is absolutely wrong or absolutely right, but rather what might be right for me might be wrong for you, and what might be right for you may be wrong for me, and we should respect each other, and we can each have our own moral standard. The problem is that doesn't work. That doesn't work. There has to be some things that are right and some things that are wrong. Even kids, small children, if there's something that's done that where they're mistreated, they'll say, hey, that's not fair. That's not fair. Where do they get that sense of fairness? It's because they know there are certain things that are right and certain things that are wrong. And I'm just here to tell you today, don't believe what culture tells you and don't believe what some college professor told you. You listen to me today. When you want to know absolute moral truth, all you got to do is read the words in red because Jesus, when he speaks, gives us the revelation of right and wrong. And how does he do that? He does it because he's God. See, God is perfect. I, can't, I can make up a standard of righteousness, but if I do, I'm going to craft it where it will give way for my weaknesses and my faults and my sins. I'm going to have a standard that says, oh, I condone this thing. Even though the Bible may say it's wrong, my standard will say, oh, it's okay. I, I don't really think it's that bad of a thing. And, and if everybody does that, then you're going to have this, this total mishmash of, of morality. It doesn't work that way. God is perfect. God is sinless. God is holy, and he is the only one qualified to tell us what is right and wrong. You see, God doesn't just arbitrarily say, I think killing will be wrong. And I, Let me see. Uh, stealing. Let's say stealing is morally wrong. It isn't that God picks these things out of the air. No. Morality flows out of his very nature. Things are wrong not just because God says they're wrong, but because they would be wrong against him. Does that make sense? And so Jesus, being the Son of God and being holy, when he said something's right, it was right. When he said something's wrong, it was wrong. I'm just here to begin this message to say that baby in a manger was God. And that's why we call him Emmanuel. Because when he came to this earth, it was God with us. That's what Emmanuel means, God with us. And so on that first Christmas morning, God came down to man. Angels sing, here comes heaven. Did you, did you get the, the metaphor? Did you get the analogy is that heaven came down to earth on that, on that first Christmas day? And so God came down. What an extraordinary thought that a holy God would come down to, 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 to be with a sinful, wicked, perverse, corrupt, moral, immoral humanity. But that's exactly what he did. And another extraordinary thought is that God became flesh. Uh, that that's just blows my mind. I mean, he God, Jesus is a deity. He's a spirit. God doesn't have a body like we do, um, and and he's a spirit being, and yet he confined himself to a fleshly body. This is the incarnation. That's a big word, but that's what it means. It means that it means in Christ, God assumed a human nature and became a man. And when Jesus became a man. There was never the subtraction of deity, only the addition of humanity. And so he was always God, even as a man. He just added humanity to his nature. I want to put this on the screen and read to you Philippians 2, 5 through 8. And I want you to just see what Paul said. He said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, 
but made himself of no reputation. This is the incarnation now. Taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the, on the cross. So what I want you to understand is God comes down as man. Jesus comes down and he kept his divine nature, but he emptied himself of his divine privileges and no one coerced him. He did it willingly. Why? The answer is right here. To die on a cross for us, to provide a ransom for our sins, and to reconcile us with God through his substitutionary death. Now, I know I'm throwing a lot of stuff out there at you, but, but let me just get you to understand this. Only the Son of God, as the God-man, was qualified to take our punishment and satisfy the law of God. You either die for your sins or somebody else has to die, and none of us qualify because we're all sinners. So God said, I'll come down, robe with flesh, be the sinless, perfect human, the only one that's ever existed, and I will give my life in your place so that you don't have to die for your sins. That is powerful. Because he died in your place and went to those lengths, a deity, a real deity, the only God, the true God, the living God. Because he did that, you can simply trust in what Jesus has done and ask God to forgive you of your sins, and he will do it. And you can freely receive his gracious gift of salvation and be in right relationship with God forever and ever and forever. The baby in the manger is significant because he clarifies how God relates with sinful humanity. we got to get this right. Now, they're going to throw a graphic up on the screen. I want to say something before I explain this. You don't come to him. He comes to you. That's how it works. You, you can't get to God. God has to come to you. There is a concept that has been out there for some time, and it's very current, very contemporary, very modern, very hip, very acceptable, that says all roads lead to God. All religions lead to God. It's, it's very tolerant, very acceptable, and so very accepting. And so what it says is if you're a Muslim and you practice the, the, the religion of Islam, then that's okay because that's how you get to God. There's, it's all the same God. There's just different names for him and different religions see him in a different way. But it's all the same God. If you want to be in Christianity, well, then that's how you get to God. But if you want to do Hinduism, then that's how you get to God. Or, or, or whatever it is that works for you, you just figure it out. But all roads eventually just lead to God. And that sounds so, so hip. Here's the problem. It's not true. Now you say, well, who are you to say that? I'm not saying it. The guy at the top of the mountain, the three-letter word there, God, he has to tell us how it works. Y'all with me? So he has to tell us how it works. So I, I, I can't make it work. I can't make it work the way I want it to work. He has to tell me. There is never a time when God has said that 
any and all religions will ultimately lead to a relationship with me. Never has he said that. As a matter of fact, what he has said is, your sins have separated you from your God. You can't get up the mountain to God because your sins keep you from getting to God. It's too rough. It's too rugged. It's too steep. You're too impure, and he's too pure. So really, it's a dilemma. There's no way to get to God. What do we do? Stay away from God for all of our lives and then go to hell? Pretty much yes, unless God comes up with a solution. And he did. 2,000 years ago, God said, you can't get up the mountain to me. Tell you what, I'll come off the mountain down to you. And he came in the name of, through his son, Jesus Christ. God came to us to be with us. You don't get to him, he comes to you. And the baby in the manger is saying that God wants to get to you. And You know, while I'm here, might as well preach. That's what preachers do, don't we? Still, it's always been that way, and it's still that way today. I, people say, you know what, I love high praises, I love this church, or I got Christian friends, I grew up in church, but I'm not saved, I don't want to get saved. Tell you what, preacher, preacher, because that's what y'all call us down south, preacher, tell you what, preacher, I'll get saved when I'm good and ready. I'm going to live my life, do my thing. Tell you what, when I get old and I know I'm coming to the end of my life, I, tell you what, I'll pray then. I'll give my life to Jesus. That sounds like a really good plan, doesn't it? Best of both worlds. Here's the problem. There's no guarantee you're going to make it out of this parking lot. There's no guarantee that a blood clot's not going to run to your, rush to your lungs and you're going to kill over and die immediately. There's no, there's no guarantee that an 18-wheeler is going to run through an intersection and T-bone you and send you into eternity. There's no guarantee. Listen to me. You don't come to God when you're good and ready. You come to God when he's good and ready. When God says, today's the day. Now's the time. This is the season. And you start living under conviction. Come on, somebody, listen to this preacher. You're living under conviction, and you're aware of your sins, and you're miserable, and you know that, boy, God's dealing with me, and I can't keep living like this. How many remember living like that? It doesn't just happen in a moment. It usually lasts for a while. That's God calling you. That's God coming to you. And if you shrug him off and keep telling, leave me alone, I don't want this, you shrug long enough, he'll back off and leave you alone, and you'll be left alone for all eternity. I know this is strong preaching, but I'm sorry. I can't help it. I'm not a teacher preacher. I'm sometimes more of a prophet preacher. Okay? But listen to me today. When God comes to you and says, it's time to get saved, this is when you have to say, now's the accepted time. Now's the day of salvation. God says, this is the time I must be born again. That's what the manger says to us. And then John says, Jesus came to dwell among us. Literally, John says, Jesus pitched his tent among us. That's what it says in the Greek. And he gives you the image of the children of Israel wandering through the wilderness in the Old Testament for 40 years. And they would travel, and then they would stop, and then they would travel, and they would stop. And when they would stop, they would set up their tents, but they would also set up what was called the tent of meeting. They didn't have a tabernacle. That didn't happen until they got into to the promised land. So this tent of meeting is where Moses would go in and God would come down and meet with Moses. It was the church. And when they would get ready to travel, they would pack up their tents and then they would pack up 
the tent of meeting, and everywhere they would go, the tent of meeting would go right with them. They never left it back at the last campsite. It always went where they went. Listen to me. John's trying to say God came down in the form of man. Jesus came not just so we could have this one supernatural moment that blows us away, but where he could actually just live among us, walk among us, listen to me, and everywhere we go, he goes. The baby in the manger not only came to save us, the baby in the manger came to emphasize God's deep desire to have a relationship with you. You know, Jesus was incredibly relational. He had the 12 disciples. They, they traveled with him. He was real close to Peter, James, and John. He loved to go to Bethany to a guy's house named Lazarus. He had two sisters named Mary and Martha, and he loved to hang out with them. He, I, I could see Jesus going to their houses, and he would go to the refrigerator and get what he wants, and he put his feet up on the, on the coffee table. You know what I'm talking about? He just made himself at home. Some of you go, they had refrigerators back then? No. I'm just preaching here. Okay? But I can just see he was incredibly relational. He went to weddings. He attended funerals. He went to parties. He would go to dinner parties at people's houses. He did it. He was incredibly relational. And, and get ready now. He didn't just hang out with church people. As a matter of fact, sometimes the church people gave him the hardest time, and he really didn't like hanging out with them. He'd hang out with sinful people. And they gave him a hard time about that because he would go to their houses, and he would eat dinner with them. And, but now listen to me. Never once did he act like them. Never once did he talk like them. Never once did he cave in to peer pressure and say, oh, I guess i got to say and do things like them so that I won't stick out. No, he was the son of God, and he would be who he was, and, and yet he, and it was something about him. You know, he, he would make sinful people uncomfortable, and at the same time, they wanted to be around him. That's, that's how he was. And, and, when, and when they would go, and when they would go in the house with him, it wouldn't take long before they would say, man, he's so good, so perfect, everything he says, there's something about him, I feel like I'm around God and there was, something would begin to happen that he didn't want to have to try to be like them. They started wanting to be like him. They started saying, you know, I need, I need, to, I need to change. I need to get saved. I need, I, need to, I need to get this sin out of my life because, listen to me, because I want to know Jesus. I, I, go Tigers. Good, no, just... I'm working it in my sermon, but I had to say that. All the Gamecock fans are like, Pastor, you just lost the anointing. <laughs> but bear with me. Years ago, um, when Tommy Bowden was the coach of the football team, the Clemson Tigers, I got the privilege to meet Tommy. He came and spoke here, and I got to meet him several times, and, 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 and he was a really great guy. And I remember one particular occasion, we were at a golf event together, and before the event, we were just standing around talking, and he went to Rock Springs Baptist Church, and, easily, and he, said, he said, Pastor, he said, have you ever met my pastor? I said, no, I've not had the privilege. And I love this. He said, he's a little banny rooster. I thought, nobody's ever called me a banny rooster. I said, oh, really? I said, okay, what does that mean? He said, oh, he's just fireball. 
He's a firebrand. He preaches it, and he said, you know what? He said, he, he tells it like it is. I said, really? I said, I, I said, I like this guy already. He said, yeah. He said, he'll get all over your toes, man. I said, I, I said, I really like him now. He sounds like my kind of guy. He said, you know what? I like it. I said, you do? He said, yeah. He said, he gets all over me sometimes. Stuff he says, I mean, it's like he's all in my stuff, but I like it. He said, you know why? I said, why, Tommy? He said, because I want to make it to heaven. He said, I need, I, need, I need to know it. I need to hear it. And I thought to myself, I wish you'd coach better. But I kind of like you too, Tommy Bow. I didn't say it to him. He probably wishes he coached better too. Here's the point. They said, you know, that Jesus, he's a bainy rooster. Man, when he just gets all in my stuff, but yet I want to know him. Sinners, sinners didn't turn him down. They, 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 they were attracted to him. They said, I want to know him. He came to save us so we could have relationship with him. Jesus came to prove that sin can be defeated. And you can enjoy a wonderful and lasting relationship with God as his child. This is the heartbeat of God. And one of my favorite verses, I'm going to work it in on this Christmas Sunday. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. God is speaking. I will dwell in them. And walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and my daughters. Can you hear it? See, God, God's not a God way up in heaven. God's, God's a God right here that just wants to be close. He said, you got to get the sin out. Once you get the sin out, then we can walk and live in relationship forever and ever and ever. That's what God wants. So not only did Jesus come to be robed in flesh, but John said he showed us the glory of God. Okay? On that night when Jesus was born, the angels shouted, Glory to God in the highest. We used to have a guy that went to church here. He died. I preached his funeral this year. His name is Ken Magnus, and he sat right back there. And Ken, God had been good to Ken. He had a lot of things happen in his life, and I mean, God had just done some incredible things. This man had a built-in amplifier system. Okay, and he would cut loose with a glory. He'd yell glory. I always felt sorry for the people sitting in front of him who didn't know it was coming because I guarantee you they jumped in their seat that much. Glory. He'd let it ring. You know, I never went to him and said, Brother Ken, you know, you need to stop that. That's hurting people's ears. And Can you just bring it down about 800 decibels and just... You know, give a little glory out loud. I never did that. You know why? Because the Bible says shout to the Lord. And I'd rather have one shouting than a 500 sitting there doing nothing. And number two, I knew his heart was right. He wasn't doing it to draw attention. He only did it when something just struck him and he was so grateful for what God did in his life. Glory! We say those words. It's like, what is glory? What is the glory of God? What is glory to God in the highest? Basically, from a theological point of view, the glory of Jesus is just the splendor and the radiance and the majesty of God. 
And, and yes, sometimes in the Bible it was supernatural. It was like a supernatural glow. I've heard it called the Shekinah, glory of God. But that's not what this is. John's talking about here. It's, not, it's, it's like, I'm thinking, did, did like little baby Jesus have this like little supernatural glow? And I'm not making fun because like, Leah, just like a glow worm. Leah bought a glow worm for one of the kids. This little glow worm. Jesus is glowing, you know, Mary just sitting there looking down. It's, no, he, he didn't glow. Uh, and Lance just sang what we told him to sing, and we've sung it for years, but silent night, holy night, radiant beams from thy holy face. And he was singing that in the first service, and I looked over at Evan, my son, who's a pastor here and a, a, a tremendous theologian. I said, so do you think Jesus had radiant beams coming out of his face in the manger? And right in the middle of church, and he looked at me and said, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I think he's afraid to answer, you know, uh, what the answer is. But I can tell you right now, you know, little baby Jesus didn't have radiant beams coming out of his face. That, you know, I know what they're trying to say in the song, but, but that's not it. What was the glory then? John tells us. We don't have to guess. He said, we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. It's the glory of God, full of grace and truth. So in other words, Jesus manifested divine glory by speaking truth and lavishing grace. It, it, was how he, it was how he talked and how he lived is how you knew he was God. So let me just show you something. It's my sermon, so I'm going to preach it this way. What is truth? Truth is reality. You with me? Truth is reality. Grace is potential reality. Let that marinate for a minute or two like a good steak. Truth is reality. It's, just, it's, it's what is, what it is. But grace is what could be, potential reality. Truth is facts. But grace is God's favor. So Jesus proved that he was God by, again, speaking the truth by what he said and then lavishing grace by how he lived. So stay with me. He spoke the truth all the time, never lied, and he spoke the truth by condemning sin. Jesus never condoned sin, he condemned sin. He called sin a sin. He told people, if you don't repent, you're going to perish. He condemned hypocrites. He probably gave churchy, hypocritical people more grief than anybody else. He called them out. He said, you're a hypocrite. He told the crowds, he had big crowds following him. He said, you don't really believe in me. He said, all y'all want is more fish and chips. You know, like feeding of the 5,000, five loaves and two fish. That's, that's fish and chips. He said, all I am is Long John Silver to you. I'm Captain D's. Y'all don't want to be saved. Y'all don't, don't want to follow me because you want to be in a relationship with God. You just want me to feed your stomach. He told it like it was. He told the woman at the well. Woman of Samaria, he's talking to her. He said, well, you know, he said, it's not really kosher here for a rabbi, a man, Jewish man to be talking, single man to be talking to a woman. Go get your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. <laughs> he said, that ain't the, he said, that's half the truth. She never met this man in his life. He said, you're a five-time divorcee. You've had five husbands. He said, you shacked up with a man right now. Now, Jesus didn't say shacked up with a man right now. I'm preaching. 
But he did say the man you're living with right now is not your husband, which means you shacked up with a man. Jesus would just call it like it was and tell the truth. He spoke, and listen to me now, he spoke the truth not to offend. You ever met anybody who they like to offend people and hurt people's feelings? Have you ever met anybody like that? And then if you call them out and say, you know what, you hurt their feelings. Well, I was just telling the truth. Well, let me tell you something. Just because you know it doesn't mean you ought to say it. Keep it to yourself. Okay? You don't, you don't say things just because it's true to hurt people. But listen to me. Jesus never spoke truth to people to hurt people, to alienate people, to offend people. You know why he spoke truth to people? He spoke truth to people because he wanted to show them the reality of their sinfulness. But he also wanted to show them something else. He wanted to show them their need of a Savior. So he spoke the truth. And then he exhibited grace. He exhibited grace by loving unlovable people. He, he exhibited grace by helping people. He helped people all the time. He gave people a purpose in life. He gave people hope. He had compassion on hurting people. He forgave sinners and he changed their lives for the better. I was thinking about, there's a Bible story about this woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. Y'all know what that means, right? We got children in here, so we just got to say, yeah, we understand what that means. In the act. Isn't it funny how the man got let go? He didn't show up in this story. He's probably related to one of the people that brought the woman to Jesus. May have been a priest or a rabbi. Uh-oh. Local scandal. Call the newspaper. So, so they bring the woman, the man, who knows where he's at. They bring the woman, and they say, Jesus, the law says that we're supposed to stone this woman because she's been caught in a very act of adultery. We've got the rocks in our hand, but we're going to put this on you. What do you say we ought to do? The Bible says Jesus started writing in the dirt. We never know what he wrote. doesn't say, but I think he wrote all the sins of everybody standing around. Just started writing out all their sins with their names. Wouldn't that have been funny? And then they asked him again, and he looked up and he said, okay, you want my opinion? You want what I have to say? Here's the truth. He who was without sin out of all y'all, all y'all, because Jesus is from South Galilee, all y'all, cast the first stone. Go ahead. Is any sinless people among you cast the first stone? And they're all ramped up, you know. They're fired up. They're ready to go. And they got the rocks in their hands. And the Bible says starting with the oldest. You know why I've started with the oldest? Because <laughs> you've been living long enough. You've racked up a bunch of sins. I thank God for his grace. He's forgiven me. But ugh, I hate for them all to play out on the screen. How about you? And starting with the oldest, oldest, working down to the youngest, you heard boom, 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 boom. And there's, one, and there's some 17-year-old teenager who got caught up in it. He's got a little rock in his hand. He's like, where y'all going? Hey, come back here. I thought we was going to go to stone somebody. What's going on? And the oldest person in the group said, son, drop the stone and come with us. Before you get yourself in more trouble. Boom. And he went walking along. That's exactly what happened. All that's left is now Jesus and this incredibly sinful woman who has cheated on her husband with another man. 
and she is ashamed, and she's embarrassed, and she's guilty, and she's cowering, and she's trembling before this rabbi slash prophet slash, I've heard he was even the Messiah, God. And Jesus looked at her and said, woman, where are your accusers? And she can't even lift her head up, and she said, sir, I don't have any. I don't think you're still there. And he said, you're right. These are the greatest words. Listen to me. You watching online, listen to me. These are the greatest words you can ever hear God say to you. He said, neither do I condemn you. Now go, and don't you sin anymore. Y'all, that's why Jesus came, to show grace to people who don't deserve it. To sinful people who fail and make mistakes and do the wrong thing and get in relationships and, and go places they shouldn't have gone and said things they shouldn't have said and treated people in ways they shouldn't have treated them. And sometimes it's public exposed and sometimes it, it never comes out. But you know and God knows and you know you're condemned and you know you're wrong and there's not a thing you can do about it and it just sticks in your crawl. And the more you do it, just it intensifies because you've got more things sticking in your crawl, a lifetime of things sticking in your crawl until you come to Jesus and say, would you please forgive me? And he says, I will. I don't condemn you anymore. Now go and don't sin anymore. That's why he came, to save us and free us to live our lives, but not to go back into sin but to be changed and transformed and to walk and live in this wonderful, unbelievable relationship with the only true divine being, God. What more can I say today, y'all? That's awesome. Hallelujah. The Son of God in the 21st century, in 2020, December 20. Is it 202020? It is, isn't it? On December 2020, he's still speaking truth and lavishing grace. He's still speaking into our lives those things that we need to hear. We need to hear them. But he's always ready to lavish on us, to pour on us saving grace. So, let me finish with this. Here's what truth says. Truth says, because you love darkness and your deeds are evil, you are condemned. And the wrath of God abides on you forever. That's the truth if you're a sinner. Here's what grace says. But God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him, you won't perish. But you'll have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be, say it, saved. Truth says, whoever commits sin, you're a slave to sin. That's right. But grace says, therefore, if the son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Truth says, the wages of sin is death. That's right. But grace responds, yeah, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
truth says you are a sinner. Far from God, rebellious and stubborn and on your way to hell. That's the truth. But grace responds and says, yes, but if you confess your sins, guess what will happen? God is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and cleanse you of every unrighteous thing you've ever said, thought, or done. That's grace. I'm so glad he's still speaking truth, and I'm so glad he's still showing grace. How about you? I want you to stand with me this morning. Now, I didn't talk about Santa Claus. I didn't talk about Rudolph. I didn't even talk about the manger or Mary or Joseph or no room in the end. That's why I had Evan read the Christmas story. I preached theology today. Because that's what God wanted me to do. Because behind the narrative of Mary and Joseph and the manger, and the shepherds, and the wise men. Behind the narrative, behind the what, there is a why. And if you don't get the why, it's just another Christmas season. It's just another nativity scene, lifeless nativity scene with no moving characters. God, I feel the Holy Ghost. But today, I gave you the why behind the nativity scene. Now we know what it was all about. And I'm so glad he came. My question to you today is this. What's your perception of Jesus this Christmas? Is he just a little baby away in a manger? As the song says. Or is he the son of God and the savior of the world? Is he a tiny little infant cooing in Mary's arms? Or is he a holy deity who when he grew up spoke truth and extended grace? And either has spoken to you and extended grace to you. Or he will speak to you. And extend grace to you if you need it. Who is he today to you? Because he's speaking right now. And if you'll listen, you can hear him. He speaks through messages like what I've just preached. He speaks through men of God. He speaks through circumstances. He, he, he speaks through difficult situations we find ourselves in. He speaks still in that very still, small voice. You don't hear it, but you hear it. Boy, have I heard that. Nothing was audible. You wouldn't have heard it, but boy, I heard it in my spirit. And if you're not saved, he's speaking to you right now. You've heard it. You're a sinner. You're away from God. He's on the mountain, and you're at the bottom, and you can't get to him. And if something doesn't change, and you die in your sins, you're going to spend eternity totally separated from God forever and ever and ever in a place you don't want to go, and I don't want you to go there. But his grace is here today. It's always there. Where sin abounds, you say, I've been pretty bad, preacher. Because that's what we always say, preacher. Preacher. It's a southern thing. Preacher. I'm pretty bad. Well, you are. But the Bible says that where your sin abounds, 
so badly, grace abounds more. There's always more grace. And I'm so thankful with every head bowed and every eye closed for a moment of spiritual reflection and so the Holy Ghost can speak to you without you being distracted. Who in this place, those of you watching online right now, if you're at home, listen, respond with me here. Who in this place would say, Pastor Chris, I'm a sinner. I'm, I'm at the bottom of the mountain. God's still at the top. I know you all act like God's come down the mountain to y'all. Y'all have some kind of relationship with him. I don't have that, okay? I don't. But I am under conviction. God is dealing with me, and I want it. I want to leave my life of sin, and I want to be saved, and I want to have God in my heart and my life. I want the sin to go out and Jesus to come in. Nobody looking around. I'm just going to ask you, if that's you, and you say, Pastor, I want to be saved, I want you to raise your hand high. Raise your hand high in this building. Anybody in this house, say, Pastor, I want to be saved. Raise your hand where I can see it. Anybody in this house, I'm looking. I'm looking. Anybody. Come on, you may be in a valley right now of a decision. Come on, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Anybody. One of two things is happening here. Either everybody in this place is saved. Well, praise the Lord. That's awesome. Or else somebody's afraid to raise their hand or uncomfortable to raise their hand. Or you just don't want to raise your hand because you may not want to get saved. That's fine. But just because you leave this moment and you don't get right with the Lord doesn't mean that the conviction of the Holy Spirit is not going to follow you in your car and to lunch and this afternoon and while you're laying in bed and your husband or wife is asleep beside you and you're laying there with your eyes wide open, bug-eyed because you can't go to sleep thinking, I should have prayed. I should have lifted my hands this morning at church. I should have done it yesterday when we were at church. Tuesday, you're two days ago. I should have done it. If God, listen, God will pursue you. How long are you going to put him off? In the last service, I, I had a mother come up to me and tell me something that thrilled my heart. She came up to me after church, and she said, Pastor, my little son, I don't know how old he is. He's a child, old enough. He said, he raised his hand. You didn't see him. He wanted to be saved. And so I led him in the sinner's prayer. My son gave his life to the Lord this morning in church. We wanted to tell you. Shoot, I was all excited, pumped up, fist bumped that kid. I told him, I said, you promised me you're always going to live for Jesus. You promised me you're always going to live for Jesus. Because I know God saved me when I was five years old in a kid's crusade. I know what he did for me, and I know what he did for that little boy. Parents, it might be that this might be the time when your children need you to share with them the gospel and say, do you want to pray? What greater thing any parent can do than to lead their children to Jesus? And right here at Christmas, that would be the greatest Christmas gift you have. I want you to bow your heads with me. I want us to pray. And for those of you who are born again and saved, I want you to thank God. Thank Jesus for what he did, for coming to this earth and doing what he did. I want you to praise him with all your heart because you're saved. 
And maybe you didn't raise your hand, but right now you're saying, I wish I had. What do I do now, Pastor? It's too late. It's okay. It's never too late. You just pray. They're going to sing after I pray. And I want you to just pray and say, God, please forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. That's all you have to pray. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I believe what you did. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for this opportunity to preach the gospel. And I know, God, this is what you gave me, and I had the utmost confidence that this is exactly what you wanted me to do. And I thank you. Anytime I can preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, hallelujah. I just thank you, God, today. And people are watching online. There may be people online that are getting saved today. Somebody's going to watch this recording, get online, uh, recording online and get saved. Thank you, God. And I just thank you, Jesus, for what you did coming to this earth as a baby, growing up to be a man, living a sinless life, dying on the cross in our place so that we don't have to be punished for our sins, rising from the grave, ascending back to heaven. You're a living Savior. And if we'll just put our faith in what you did, by grace we're saved through faith. And if we'll just lean on what you've already done for us and let you do the work, God, you'll take away our sins and forgive us and cleanse us. And I just pray, God, that will be the case for everybody here. What a great Christmas gift. It'll make Christmas more meaningful than ever before. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did. We give you praise and honor and glory. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.